Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. The appointed psalm for the first Sunday after the Epiphany of our Lord is Psalm 100. You'll find it uh, printed for you in your service folder. We've sung it twice already in the paraphrases. Uh, This psalm has a great deal of historical significance in our church body, the Evangelical Lutheran Synod, the ELS. Uh, Not only do we sing Old Hundredth at the beginning, but we sing a paraphrase uh, that's really important to us uh, earlier uh, because it was written by one of the three founding fathers of our church body, a man by the name of uh, Ulrich Wilhelm Koren. Uh, If you look at the psalm itself, uh, you'll notice, uh, that was hymn 56, by the way, ye lands to the Lord. Uh, You'll notice that Koran added two lines, a sort of refrain that's not in the psalm itself. Ye lands to the Lord make a jubilant noise. Glory be to God. O serve him with joy. In his presence now rejoice. Sing praise unto God out of Zion. Glory be to God and sing praise unto God out of Zion, uh, are not in the psalm itself. Glory be to God, that's the song that the angels sang to the shepherds, announcing Christ's birth and directing them where to find the Christ child. We sing it in the liturgy. Uh, Glory be to God on high, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. And right after that, we find our Christ in his word. Out of Zion, uh, well, Zion is a reference to a number of realities at the same time. It's it's the mountain on which the fortress and walls of Jerusalem were built. It's the city itself. It's the temple which was built at the peak. It's all who enter the temple. So it's the church, the, the people of God, sing praise unto God out of Zion. Now, I don't want to turn this sermon into theorizing, but knowing that this was the appointed psalm for today, this first Sunday after Epiphany, a Sunday that emphasizes youth and education, where we see the boy Jesus at the temple. I I think Corin was onto something by adding these two things. He wrote this hymn in 1874 for a dedication of a building at Luther College, uh, which is unfortunately no longer part of our synod. And since then, it's been sung at just about every dedication of a church or church building in our synod, including uh, even the dedication of our own building some 41 years ago this past week. So happy birthday. Psalm 100 is called an invitatory psalm. Uh, That is a psalm that's used to invite worshipers, invite the congregation to come into the Lord's presence with thanksgiving and praise, with confession and praise. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. We are being invited on this day by this psalm to see our Lord revealed. That's what the word epiphany means. It means a revealing, a manifestation. We are being invited to come into the Lord's presence to actually see him, to see him by faith, just as Isaiah the prophet saw the Lord sitting high on the throne 
with the train of his robe filling the temple. But today is kind of a weird epiphany. We don't see the Lord filling the temple. Rather, we see him as a 12-year-old boy, an ordinary boy, sitting, just sitting in the temple, just like anyone else, like any of you. To us, it's not that shocking, but, but Mary and Joseph, when they, when they lose him and then they find him three days later, they're shocked, as are the teachers in the temple, uh, shocked at his understanding and his answers. But what's actually happening is incredible. Luke notes that Jesus and his parents have come to the temple for the Passover celebration. Uh, the Passover is the greatest festival uh, in the Old Testament church, the, the, the equivalent of Easter for us. All the faithful would trek to Jerusalem each year and stay for, for about a whole week, offering sacrifices and doing things in and around the temple continually. A lot of doing. After this, after three whole days, after they've wrapped up and, and left already, after three whole days, that's where Mary and Joseph find him again in the temple. And now they, they, they actually try to blame Jesus for their negligence. So Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes his parents. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be taking care of my father's business? Now, literally, Jesus said, I have to be in about doing that which is my father's. So in other words, everything in the temple, from the furnishings to the altar to the utensils, uh, to the priests, to the candles, to the fire, uh, to the curtain, to the sacrifices, even the stones that made up the temple walls itself, he must be in and about and doing everything in the temple. What Luke is showing us is that in Jesus, the temple itself is being fulfilled. In Jesus, the temple itself is being fulfilled. Everything that those utensils, altars, furnishings, and building blocks were made for is now being fulfilled in Jesus, in God who has come into the temple. Remember what he called himself before his death. He said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days, referring to his own body. So here, it's as if the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the place where God located himself physically among his people, has been brought back to the temple. God, once again, is containing himself within the temple. Only this time, to fulfill it. When Isaiah saw the Lord in his vision sitting in the temple, Isaiah's reaction was one of sheer terror. But here, Jesus is revealed. He's manifested not in all his terrifying glory, but he's clothed in humility. See, God in his glory is deadly to sinners, as Isaiah well knew. But God in humility is salvation to sinners. 
so we are invited by Psalm 100 then to have a much different reaction than Isaiah. We are invited to serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing, not with terror. So we see here that God actually has a response, a reaction, uh, an attitude, an emotion that he wants us to have, that he desires us to have as we come into his presence, one of gladness. If you are not glad to come to the Lord's house, that is not the attitude our Lord wants you to have. If you are not glad to hear God's word regularly or are not glad to learn God's word, that is not acceptable service. We ought, as the third commandment says, to, we ought to hold God's word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. But so often when we come into the Lord's presence, we, we do have the wrong attitude because, because I think we, we misunderstand what serving the Lord actually is, what worship actually is. The word translated here as serve here in verse 1 has, has the sense of worship, uh, which is what worship is, it's service. But here we really need to understand this. Now, most Protestant or evangelical churches equate what happens here on Sunday mornings for an hour. They equate it with worship. This is worship. But that's not quite accurate. Worship, as we heard St. Paul say in our epistle, is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. So worship, then, is when we make ourselves available to do whatever God requires us to do. When Isaiah caught a glimpse of the Lord high and lifted up in the temple, his response was, here am I, send me. That's worship. Send me. I was reading recently of a, of a new mom uh, who wanted to make, her, make God her first priority and read God's word first thing every morning. She, she resolved to do that first thing every morning. Uh, but every morning she dragged herself out of bed a half hour earlier than usual. Her baby would start crying. When she tried to pray, the, the baby would demand food. When she tried to read, the baby would need to be changed. When she tried to meditate, she could never focus with the squirming baby on her lap. So she began to resent her baby, she said. The baby was getting in the way of her serving God. But then she realized something. She had an epiphany. When the baby cried, the baby was calling to her. And through her baby's voice, God was calling to her. What God, had wa what God wanted her to do to serve him right then and there was to take care of her baby. Her worship was serving her child. Here am I, send me. So knowing the proper relationship between us and God is crucial to our worship with gladness. Know the Lord. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. God has made us. 
We did not. God has called us to our unique vocations, that is, our unique areas of service and worship. We don't get to choose what vocations we have. If God has called me to be a husband, I need to act like a husband. If God has called me uh, to the vocation of singlehood, I, I need to act that part. If God has called me to be a parent, I need to act like a parent. And the spiritual, par- the, the spiritual worship, the service of parents, and particularly the vocation of fathers, is to make sure their children are brought to the services of God's house and are taught the basics of God's word, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the sacraments. That is your worship. That is uh, your service, that your children are, are here, not only today, but that they keep coming back. As we worship, as we serve out in our lives, the basis for our joy, our gladness, is knowing, as the psalm says, knowing that the Lord is God. Know that the Lord, He is God. So joy, being glad, is knowing. Knowing who God is and what He has done. So I can be glad because I know that what I have is from God. I can be glad even though my serving, my worship, is actually difficult. And I might not enjoy it all the time. But I can be glad because I know it's a gift from God. You know, because we in our vocations, we parents, uh, or, or whatever vocation we have, we, we, we blame others for our negligence. Like Mary and Joseph, we parents blame our children for our negligence. Uh, well, my kid won't ever sit still, so I won't bring him to church. My child isn't ready to understand everything yet, so I'll just wait till later to teach him God's word. And really then, what we're doing is, like Mary and Joseph, blaming God. Well, if God hadn't given me this child, then I would come to church. If my child were older, then I, would, then I would teach God's word. Instead of serving the Lord with gladness, we, we make excuses. Now here's an illustration I, I just heard of, of something else that, that we tend to think hinders our gladness. And I think this is true for, for most of us. Uh, so let's just say that you, you constantly find yourself having too much month left at the end of your money too much month left at the end of your money. Uh, And so you pray to God that he would give you more money because you think that would solve your stress and and make you more glad, make you more happy. But that would be like if you're in fourth grade and you're bad at math and you really need third grade math, but you you pray to God that he would uh, take you out of third grade and and put you in seventh grade. Um, And we do the same thing with other things. Uh, we, We do the same thing with time that we do with money, if God would just give me more time, well, then I would gladly learn his word. Well, I don't need more money. I don't need more time. That will actually just give me more stress. What I do need, what I do need now is exactly what God has given me. That includes my time, my money, my family, my kids. They're all gifts. They're all gifts however much or however little, all gifts. So 
what I do need is more mercy and more strength and truth from God to help me see things as he does. And that's exactly what God promises in the psalm. For the Lord is good, and his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. That's what we're doing here today. We're not giving God worship here. What we're doing here is receiving his gifts. That we call Lutheran worship the divine service, God serving us. So gladness is knowing that when I come to God's house, I'm not doing it to give God my time. I'm not, not coming here to give something to God. Rather, I'm here as a recipient of everything God has done for me and everything God wishes to give me so that I can come here and be filled up and served by God, filled up so that I can go out into the world, into my vocation, and worship God with gladness in my daily life. Sing praise unto God out of Zion. That is, wherever Jesus is, that's where the temple is. Jesus has fulfilled the temple, and so the temple is now wherever Jesus is. Zion is wherever Jesus abides with his people. That is, the sheep led by his rod, his word. Every week, you get to hear, glory be to God on high in the liturgy. And then right after that, we hear God's word. You are being pointed to where to find Jesus. So find Jesus right here in his word. That's the major theme of Epiphany. The wise men led by the star to find Jesus, but they weren't led all the way. They had to consult scripture to find the location of Jesus. So too for us, the word reveals Jesus. Find Jesus in his word. And that word goes with you. By faith, Jesus makes you his temple. He abides in you. We no longer need priests to intercede for us before God because Jesus, the boy priest who came to the temple, who gladly remained there, who gladly heard and learned God's word so much so that he astonished even the teachers and then who gladly went home and obeyed his parents, he has fulfilled the priesthood and the temple. So we now get to be priests to the world, to our families, to our wives, to our children. We serve God by serving those around us, by singing, by acting, by doing. We are God's temple. Jesus has come to us. He has come to his temple, just like he did then, to perfect it. He has come to perfect us, to make us holy, to fulfill what we are unable to do. Through his truth, his word, Jesus hallows his temple. He makes us holy through his truth. 
his word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.